If you want, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew 5. We are going to continue in the Beatitudes um, or the Sermon at the Mount. Andrew's done a great job of unpacking kind of what they all mean. And so we're going to continue in that series. How's everybody doing today? We're doing good? We're having a good time? I, I think it's funny how we talk about church, like you're having a good time. Like that's the, that's the purpose of it. The purpose of it is that we'd come together and we'd be formed into the likeness of Christ. But how do you say that? You're being formed into the likeness of Christ, everyone! Yeah, like, I don't know. It's, it's like, that reminds me of like promise keepers. <laughs> and they like cheer back and forth. It was so, it's so good. You guys good? You guys excited to be here? Yes, it's good? Everybody say hi. It's Olivia's birthday back there. Happy birthday, Olivia. Oh, man, it's so good to be in, in uh, church today. So let's go ahead and turn to Matthew 5, uh, 17 through 20. How many of you guys um, like pools? Like you like going swimming? Obviously not right now. Most of them are closed. But how cool is a heated pool at this time of year? Super awesome. Um, how many? Okay, I want to see. There's, there's going to be 50% this way and 50% this way. But I want to see how you divide. Um, who is one of the like slow kind of waders in the pool? You know, you first put your foot in and then you take a step and then you slowly get in the pool. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand. If you kind of go by the stairs, you know, you do the stairs. Yeah. How many of you guys are just cannonballers? Like you just run in and go there. Yeah. I just, honestly, I'm a cannonballer, 100% only because I'm a big wuss. And going slowly, the water's always too cold. It could be like 92 degrees, and I'm like, ah, uh, ah. Uh. <laughs> My wife's like, it's a bath. I don't understand. I'm like, ah, it's just water. I don't know. Um, and so today what we're going to do is just cannonball this, this situation. So we're just going to jump right into the scripture, and we're going to start there, okay? Is that cool for all of you uh, waiters who have to put in your ankle first? Can you cannonball with me? It's way more fun anyways, let's be honest. It's way more fun to jump into the pool like that. Um, so let's go, Matthew 5. Uh, Jesus is continuing his Sermon at the Mount. This is like his, his big first sermon that's recorded. It is believed that he's talked and done teaching before this, but this is the first recorded sermon, and it is kind of like his, his coming out. If he was an artist, this would be his CD release party, okay? And so he has this big moment, and he is just going for it. It's pretty cool, actually. It's like a, sermon, it's like a preacher's dream. It's not really one sermon. It's like nine. So he just keeps going. Um, so you only get one sermon today. We cut it into many pieces, but he did uh, one big sermon, just kept on going. Uh, he was so good that he could keep on doing that. So let's go ahead in verse 17. Everybody, when you're there, you can tell me amen. Amen. All right. Don't misunderstand why I've come, Jesus says. I did not come to abolish the law of Mo Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purposes. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least, comm the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's 
laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of God. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Man, that is four verses, but it is full. It is full. And so we're gonna unpack this. We're gonna make three points, okay? Go ahead and write down the first point, which is this. Following Jesus. The, the Sermon at the Mount is simply this. Here's the kingdom of God. Here's what it means. Here's what you should do. So here's what he's teaching us, very simply. The kingdom of God is the domain of the king who is? Yeah, we'll do it again. Who is? Right. So this means how to follow Jesus. Sermon at the Mount, simplified. This is how you follow Jesus. Well, this is great news because if you're simple like me, you just need simple points to follow in life. Amen? And so Jesus just gives us really simple. Even though it seems like it's super complex, it actually comes down to be very, very simple. And the first point is this, following Jesus affects how you understand scripture. All of us know we have scripture. God has given us scripture. It has been given from God, written by man, and passed down through traditions, passed down to us now. And so when we understand following Jesus actually changes it affects how we understand scripture. Jesus is making this point in this first verse. Read it with me. Don't misunderstand why I came. I did not come to abolish, abolish the law of Moses and the writings of the, of the prophets. Now, when he says it like that, that's just like a contemporary way. That's, the, that's like the cool kids used to say it then. They would just be like, don't say scriptures, say the law and the prophets. They would say the Torah is the law and then the prophets are the ones who write the prophecies of God. Make sense? And so he's saying, I did not come to abolish that. Now you need to understand there's two camps at that time. One camp, oh, I dropped my poppy. Just not, to not be disrespectful, I picked it up. There's two camps. One camp is his beginning disciples. They are on the boat of, hey, this guy, he's starting a movement. He is actually going to change things. He's gonna change the way we've known to follow God forever. This is great. We can get rid of all those rules. Finally, they're brutal. Have you ever read? Have you read of those rules? He's like, good, this is gonna... So they're on that camp. The other camp is the Pharisees and the religious. They're like, hmm. This guy sounds like he wants to abolish those laws. And we have a word for them. False teacher, we're gonna burn you. That's what's gonna happen, go for it. Tell us you're gonna abolish the law and we will burn you. And he goes, no, 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 no. You're both wrong and you're both right. So he said, I, I actually have come not to abolish the law. And they're like, what? No, no, no. He's like, I'm gonna do it better. I'm gonna fulfill it. I'm gonna complete it. I'm gonna bring it actually to its climax and I'm going to make it the point. And the point, here's what I want you to understand. The point of all scripture, 
points to Jesus. When we are followers of Jesus, we understand that all scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it points to Jesus Christ. Let me show you how. I'm gonna do three examples. I will not do it all, not even close. This passage, people write books on books on books for this passage. And so if you come to me after service and say, hey, I want you to know you missed one point, I'll say, I know, I missed a lot. Um, And so this is just simply, we are just, We are just getting a little bit of the surface, but I'm gonna give you three that show you that Jesus is absolutely the fulfillment and the purpose of scripture. So when we are on our reading plan and we're in the middle of Leviticus and we're like, this is terrible. Can I say that? No? You've all thought it though, yeah. For those of you who even gone in that book, the rest of us just jump it. (laughs) I remember when I was first Christian, I was like, yeah, I'll stay in James. I like James. Five, I feel like I've got so far. I read two chapters. I'm like halfway through the book. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> right? And so let's see what, what we learn here. So the Day of Atonement. You need to know this. There are 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. 300 prophecies from the Old Testament. And I know, right? You might be like, oh, well, that's just, he just cheated. He's acting like me in high school that calls one of his older friends and gets the old test from them. No, he didn't do that. Neither did I, okay? Some of them he didn't even have power over. They talk about being born in Bethlehem. Definitely did not decide to be born in Bethlehem. That was was God's ordained place for him to be born. So first, I want you to look at this. The Day of Atonement. Leviticus, I know all of our favorite books, 16. It, it is given to Aaron to say, his, his um, two sons went in and offered a offering to the Lord in a, in a way that shouldn't have been done. And in the Old Testament way, he was smited. And those two boys were smited. And so they gave clearly how to enter the presence of God, which in the temple, in the, uh, in the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies. And so it said this, you can come in one day a year. Right before there, you must sacrifice the atoning lamb. You must then go in to the Holy of Holies and you can give an offering. And that whole day of atonement is kind of like the equivalent to our spring cleaning. That's when they would go through the whole camp the whole tabernacle, and they would make atonement for their sins. The whole point was this. You guys, Israel, are dirty sinners. I need you to know that. Well, how would they know that? Well, I'm gonna bring out a cattle to show you how nasty it, no, I'm just kidding. But what they do is they'd cut it up, literally in the presence of Israel. Has anybody been to a butcher shop? Gross. Have you ever seen No, I like going to the store picking (laughs) pre-bought. I don't want to see how it's murdered. But this is what they would do. They would literally bring the cattle to them. He would slaughter it, the lamb, he would slaughter it, and the blood would be everywhere. It would be very different for me as a pastor. I wouldn't be wearing this, right? I'd be covered in blood. The point of it is this. Sin causes death. I need you to see what happens when sin causes death 
blood. And so this was the point of the day of atonement. I need you to see the weight of your sin. You, se you are separated from God. The only way to be in the presence of God is to bring a sacrifice that God ordained for you. The problem was that the day of atonement happened every year on every year on every year on every year and it didn't end and it seemed like there was no end in sight until Jesus entered. And then turn with me to what Paul says. We're gonna turn to uh, Romans 3.25. Turn with me in the Bible or it'll be up there. Romans 3.25. And here's what Paul writes about Jesus. For God sent Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Turn with me to 1 John 2, verse 2. 1 John will test your, test your Bible knowledge where it's at. <laughs> the hidden book at the end, right before Revelation. If you're turning with me, no one's turning. You hurt my heart. I'm just kidding. Two, verse two. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. This is amazing news. Not only the, the atoning sacrifice, the day of atonement was a foreshadowing of Jesus. When we read scripture, he changes the way we read it because he takes something that is so boring <laughs> like the book of Leviticus, and he brings it to life. This is what Jesus does. Jesus takes dead things and he makes them alive. This is my Jesus. This is what we do when we actually come to Jesus. He changes things. And so he doesn't just make it a book that is boring, full of rules. He makes it alive and it brings life into our life. And as we understand it more, we say hallelujah, because the day of atonement means something finally. Right? It's not just a bunch of rules, but it's a foreshadowing to who he is and what he did. It's this, you are broken. Man, that sucks, that's bad news. But Jesus shows up and says, you're broken, but in me, you are who I called you to be. You are righteous and made right because of my sacrifice. I am the purpose of scripture. Amen, anyone? So that's the first one. Oh wait, yes, the law. I got fired up and lost my spot. The law shows us, Paul tells us, that the law actually needed to be there. Because has anybody ever wondered why the law was exist? Like, you put the law to tell me how bad I am? Seems like not a good option. It's like when I was watching my two-year-old daughter and she begged me that she could just take her Halloween candy into her room with her when she was two. And I was like, oh, just in case you wonder it, we didn't go Halloween, I didn't go in the neighborhood Halloween in case you're against Halloween. Uh, I didn't do that. People brought it to my house. So that's how she had candy. Just in case you were judging me, judge not, okay? 
Um, and, so, and so I gave it to her because she asked me to, because she wanted it. She was so cute. You know, that two-year-old daughter is like so cute. She could literally, you want candy during your nap time just to watch? Sure. I know it sounds dumb, but out in the moment, I was the sucker, okay? And I'm like, sure. And then guess what happened three hours later when I opened the door? What? You ate all the candy? You lied to me. And my wife comes in and she says, you did what? I said, she promised she wouldn't eat them. And then her and her best friend had a really good laugh about that. But it doesn't seem like the law is that. Like, here's all the things you can't do. Here's 600 and some odd rules that you need to follow so that you can be right with me. It doesn't seem like it's a little bit like, uh, you know you can't keep this, right? You're gonna fail. That's the point. The point of the law is to show us, it's to reveal to us how broken, how sinful we are. But here's how we know that the law is actually pointing to Christ. Uh, Galatians 3.24, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could, not, could be made right with God through faith. Romans 10.4, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. So the point of the law is this, is to show us our brokenness, our, our depravity as men and women, our sin. But until Christ came, it was like, yeah, that's how bad you are. <laughs> like a depressing message. But Christ came and said, hey, I want to show you this so that life in me, you go from death to life in me. You go from wrong relationship, broken relationship with God to right relationship with God. And then I want you to see this. Uh, Tim Keller writes this about the law and how it is to reveal Jesus. The law shows us as we really are. And so the law points to us, or sorry, points us to see Christ as he is our savior, the one who obeyed the law on our behalf and then died in our place so that we might receive the promised blessing. The law reveals to us our brokenness. Christ shows us the way out. Amen? So every time you start your new reading plan in January and you get to numbers and you feel overwhelmed, be rejoicing because Jesus is alive. Because we can read it and we can understand it. Not only do we have those two things that show us that Jesus actually was the thing that the law, the Old Testament was all about. It's all pointing to him. His own words say it. You know what's funny? Funny, people say that Jesus didn't think of himself as God or Jesus didn't think of himself as Messiah, as son of God. He didn't think, he didn't proclaim these things and they were ideas that happened later on, centuries later. This is ridiculous. I just want you to hear these words and I'll say them from me. Don't judge me, this is scripture. I'm gonna say them, but see how ridiculous this sounds, okay? 
You have searched the scriptures because you look, you think they will give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, Alex Smithhurst. I am the one they write about. Okay, now all of you run out because that is crazy blasphemy and that's how cults start, <laughs> right? Like those are crazy things, normal people. So when people stand up and go, Jesus is a good teacher. Good teachers can't say stuff like this. Crazy people can. Or it's true. And you actually are the one you say you are. So here, listen, listen. It says, this is what Jesus says. And he doesn't just say it to his disciples who are unlearned fishermen, right? You can tell those guys anything. Pharisees know it. They know the law. They've studied it. They know it inside. They know it outside. They know it backwards and forwards. They could tell it to you like nothing. Do you know that by the age of 12, they had the Torah memorized? That includes Leviticus. Memorized. It was crazy. And here's what he says to them. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. Doesn't that sound right? You search the scriptures. Doesn't that sound good? But you think that the words themselves give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. That's crazy. That's a crazy statement. Normal people can't make statements like that. You either have to be God or a crazy person. The claim is, and I believe it, he is Christ and all scripture points to him. Here's what he says when he's resurrected Lord. Luke 24, 27. So he's died, he's resurrected, the, he's come to the apostles, well, the disciples at the time, and he's teaching them. And here's what he teaches them. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning him. When we read scripture, this seems like I'm going on for a really long time about one point that seems obvious, but it's, but it's not. We need to understand when we read scriptures as followers of Christ, it is all pointing to Christ. We should say, when we read scripture, how do I see Christ here? The tabernacle reveals Jesus. The temple reveals Jesus. The law reveals Jesus. The kings reveal Jesus. They reveal Jesus. It's all pointing to him. Point two, that was really long for, <laughs> I remember being in church and I remember the, the pastor doing like a big long intro and then being like, all right, let's start today's message. And that was like a 25 minutes in and I'd be like, I'm gonna die. And now I'm that person. <laughs> Sorry. Point two, following Jesus affects how we approach scripture. My two, uh, I, my second daughter, Addie, loves animals. And when she was two years old, I was in, uh, we were in the mall and there was a German shepherd on the other side. And I guess I wasn't holding her hand hard enough. And so she ran towards the German shepherd. This is a bad idea. I do run a daycare, if you're wondering. I'm just kidding. Um, and, so, um, and so she ran across and approached this German shepherd. But I, I'm a dog person. 
And I believe that dogs know and love kids. And so literally this dog like responded, like came down to her level and just was gentle. I mean, it could have been really bad, but it wasn't. So good story. But how many of you know that when you approach an animal, the way you approach it matters? Or how many of you who are married, maybe, maybe husbands, you know this, you come home and you maybe have a disagreement and you come in and, and the way you approach that, that disagreement might, it probably matters. Like if you come in and are like, hey, why did you text me to pick up my daughter? Hypothetically, my daughters. I'm working, like I had a meeting, like what? A, how many know that probably didn't turn out well for me, hypothetically? Right, like, like it just, it, sometimes it doesn't turn out right. The way we approach stuff matters. And so we read scripture different, but we need to approach it differently. Right, like let me ask you this question. How do you approach scripture? Like, do you even ask that question? Like, in your devotional time, do you approach scripture? Do you ask yourself, like, how am I approaching this? And I, I honestly, and I, hopefully this isn't me speaking down, it's speaking to me, because I was like, I had never really thought of that. And I'm like, well, most of the time, I kind of approach it kind of flippantly, like, this is what I do for a living, and I love the word, and so I come to it, yeah. Or the best I do is I approach it with, like, discipline. Like, I'm here on, on Tuesday morning, opening the word, you're welcome. Right? Anyone? Right? Like, like, I know we don't say that, but do we not sometimes act like that? And we don't necessarily ask ourselves, like, how do we approach this, this passage? Or even this book? Like, this is the word of God revealing himself to us. But how many of us have like nine Bibles at home? Right? We've never had the Bible more accessible now, but know it less in, in the history of man and women. Right? Let's look at verse 18 and 19 in this passage. I promise this will be short. Verse, or chapter five, verse 18. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys the law, God's law, and teaches them will be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So there is so much in there and I wanna go so many directions, but I promise I will honor your time. So here's, here's the key of this. How we approach scripture matters. And Jesus is teaching us that we must approach scripture with two things, humility and obedience. So when I came to this text today, or for today, and I, I went to start studying it, I was like, Pastor Andrew, you totally did me dirty, bro. This is a hard passage. I was like, you could have given me like salt and light. Like I could na nail that one. This is so good. Like I could totally, but this is like heavy. 
And then the Holy Spirit came to me and brought me to a place of humility and said, you know, how often do you think that you stand on scripture to proclaim it, but really you shouldn't even stand beside scripture and try to proclaim it. We should be standing under scripture and letting it inform us, right? So humility, Jesus is saying this, it's not going anywhere. You guys ever read diet books? I, I started just checking out diet books from the 90s. They are hilarious. Juan told me that I should eat cereal for breakfast because it's healthy. I took that. I'm going to live with that. I love the 90s anyway, so it's great. But right, like there are pop culture things that don't age well. Right? This is not one of them. The revelation of God to us. But how many of us go to 10 different things to inform our lives before we go to scripture to inform us about how to live? We look to pop culture to figure out six ways that we can be better when we should look here and allow it to teach us to be more like Christ. Right? And this is what Jesus is saying. This is not going anywhere. This will be here and it will teach you. And then he says this. He says that if you teach it or if you break its law and teach others to do the same, you'll be the least in the kingdom. Now, just quickly, that sounds like people who are false teachers can be in the kingdom of God. No, 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 that's not the point. You see different parables where there are people in the kingdom and then they get kicked out of the kingdom. People who teach false teaching will be kicked out of the kingdom, just in case you're wondering. But that's his point. His point is just like in this kingdom, which is the king's domain, right? What domain is not King Jesus? Think about it. Everything is in his domain, right? All authority in heaven and on earth, right? So that's just the point he's making there, just in case it, it bothered you. It bothered me a little bit. That's why I studied it. Um, but he's saying this. We approach scripture Verse 18, with humility, we approach scripture with obedience. You want to be called greatest in the kingdom? Obey the commandments and teach others to do the same. Wow, that's pretty simple. How do I know if I'm following Christ? Obey the scriptures and teach others to do the same. But here's what we need to understand. When we approach scripture with humility and obedience, we don't inform it, it informs us. It informs us. It informs what we watch, it informs our relationships, it informs our business practices, it informs our ethics, it informs our sexual ethics. It informs all of it. We don't get to choose and pick and say, this makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, okay, often, Light makes me uncomfortable when I'm walking out of darkness, right? It informs us. We pray, form me into the likeness of Christ. He is the one who forms us. Make sense? So when we come to scripture, we must approach it with obedience and humility. Lastly, Following Jesus affects how we live. Jesus ends with this haymaker. Well, he doesn't really end because it's just another sermon. 
but he makes, he has a haymaker in the middle of it. Um, and he just says this, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine? That'd be like, okay, I can be greatest in the kingdom by just obeying and teaching others to obey? Oh, I'm so close. And now do better than the Pharisees. Right? Like in that day and age, the Pharisees are the height of religion. They know the law inside and out. They seem on the public eye to follow it inside and out. So the hearer must have been like, what? What are you saying, Jesus? But Jesus, once again, is teaching something that is absolutely groundbreaking. The whole of the Sermon at the Mount is not just what you see. It's so deep. It's so uh, full of wealth. And so this is the same. I need you to understand, he's not saying to us, Make sure that you're more religious, you follow the rules better than the best of the best, and then you're in. That seems like it's going backwards to the law. What he's saying is this. I need you to look straight in the law's face and tell me you can do better than that. And no one can. And so we feel hopeless and broken. And he says, righteousness is not found in your actions, it's found in Christ. And just in case you're wondering if this is, my, this is my belief or this is scripture, let's go ahead and turn to Romans 3. Paul writes in Romans 3, verse 22 through 24, he writes this. Remember, righteousness is right relationship with someone. In our case, this is talking about God. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. This is amazing news. Now we live in a much more equal society, and so everyone's welcome. That means very little. But back then, it was a groundbreaking principle. He's saying, you can be the lowest of the low or the highest of the high. Either way, you need Christ because your life is broken and you find your purpose in Christ. You find your righteousness in Christ. He continues, here's why it's a great gospel. And this is why the richest and the most um, famous in our culture to the lowest in society need Christ. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's uh, glorious standard. Yet God in his grace, freely makes us in his sight, a right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul writes this to a messed up church. For our sake, he made him to be sin. This is Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 
We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. If you've ever walked in a church and felt like you have stuff that you're hiding, you need to know it's not about how good you are. Yes, sin needs to be exposed. Yes, we need to be honest about our brokenness. But when we are honest, Jesus promises a garment of righteousness that we can place on us, not based on our works, not based on how good we do, how our Bible plan's doing, how well we've attended church, based on the fact that we believe he is Christ Jesus and died for our sins. We place the righteousness of him on us and it says that we have right relationship with God because of Christ. Come on, church, that's good news. This should change how we live. And this is his point. Just in case we're wondering, this is not the gospel that says, hey, I'm righteous so I can keep on sinning. Yeah, 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 I went out drinking and got hammered last night and slept with whoever, but I'm at church today. I ask forgiveness, grace abounds, where sin abounds. That's garbage. That's garbage. That's not what this is. Jesus is very clear, and he says it in the next seven examples that he goes over. Your righteousness that comes from Christ must, must move you from being righteous in Christ to right actions. It's not adding to the work of Christ, but it's showing the work of Christ. Does that make sense? So by putting on the righteousness of Christ, it's not now I have a free ticket, I can do whatever I want because I get to go to heaven. It's actually understanding that the righteousness of Christ changes me to be more like Christ. And from that, my right actions are evident. That's where the fruit of the Spirit comes from. But let's finish with this. John 15. Just in case we wonder that it's about us and how hard we work, right? Because this is, this is the law. Work harder. You're a failure. Work harder. Tomorrow, work harder. But doesn't that sound like church sometimes? Like, doesn't it sound like the way that church has been communicated? Like, hey, you know, you should just do better, do better. That's how I felt so often. But here's what I want us to understand. It's not us working harder. It's us actually surrendering more. In John 15, he talks about the vine and the branches and the fruit being produced. Luckily, we don't have anything to do with the fruit. We don't have anything to do with the vine. We simply are the branch connected to the vine and through us, he produces fruit. Our role is to abide. Our role is to remain. I make this joke all the time, but how many of you have gone to any form of fruit Vineyard, or fruit vineyard, yeah, I'm a farmer, clearly. Um, I've gone to any sort, sort of farm and looked and been like, that's my favorite branch. You don't really notice the branches. You might say, that's an amazing tree. I love apples. I love oranges. Well, we don't live in Florida, but you know what I mean, right? You see the fruit and clearly the roots are the thing that's, that allow it. We never notice the branch. That's the point. We aren't important. We are important to him, but in the kingdom, it's not about us. Let all the pressure fall off of you. 
You don't have to produce the fruit of spirit in you. You don't have to save the people around you. You need to be abiding in Christ and he promises the fruit will come. He makes this proclamation because apart from me, you can do nothing. In Christ, fruit is produced. Our job is to be in the righteousness of Christ, to proclaim that we believe in our hearts that he has saved us. And in that belief, it says that we put on the righteousness of Christ. We have a right relationship with the Father. And it's from that place that we begin to live a different life. Amen? Is that not our lives? Is that not our lives? When Christ came, we are different people. I never invited my dad to church and I did for the first time. And he had never, he, he had never been exposed to, to um, me as a Christ follower in a sense of like church or preaching. And he, and he just knew me as a punk kid. He, um, and so he came and he goes, where did you learn that? I said, Jesus, that's where. He transforms us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we just approach you with humility. Forgive us for being so flippant, often just even walking in church or even opening your word, almost like we're doing you a favor. Work on our hearts, O oh Lord. Form us, form us into your likeness. But I wonder if there's anyone here um, hearing the gospel hearing that Jesus has died for our sins, that we no longer need the day of atonement because Christ is our atonement. If you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus, I wonder, with nobody looking around, if you're here and you wanna just respond to that message, and all that means is that your heart is wanting to respond to the Lord, and I'm gonna invite you just to raise your hand. The hand doesn't get you into heaven. It's your heart response to Christ. And so if you're here, um, your outward expression of that is your hand raised, but your heart is crying out for Jesus. And so if you're here and your heart's crying out for Jesus, I'm just gonna ask you just to raise your hand and say, I want my, my life to be in Christ. Thank you, thank you. And then if you're here and you're just saying, you know what? I have just been trying to build my own righteousness. And I need to be reminded, just placing my righteousness in Christ. I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand again, just as the outward expression of our heart crying out for the Lord. Just go ahead and raise your hand. So Jesus, you see us. Our hands aren't as important as our hearts and our hearts are laid bare before you. Holy Spirit, do the deep work in us. Form us into your likeness, oh God. We love you and need you. We love you so much, Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who acknowledge their need of a savior. I pray that they would open their heart to you and realize that this is the first day of following after you for the rest of their lives. We worship you, King Jesus. Lead us and guide us. Amen. Amen.